Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. With inflation raging, interest rates spiking, and the stock market sinking, San Antonio Business Journal Managing Editor Ed Arnold calls on financial advisor Daryl Lyons at Pax Financial for his take and guidance in these uncertain times. Welcome back to the San Antonio edition of the Texas Business Minds podcast. I'm here with Daryl Lines of Pax Financial Group. I cannot wait to chat with you because I know that we're going to figure out all of our market headaches here in this 15 to 20 minute conversation, Daryl. But, uh, but first things first, let's let the audience know who you are and about Pax itself. So give us a little bit of yeah. your background. Yeah, you know, I've, I've traveled a little bit, grew up in several different places in Texas, Bernie, Harlingen, Casterville. Um, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. So I really, it, it's just kind of crazy. I, I became kind of infatuated with money at, at about 17, like nerdy infatuated. And it's not like um, uh, selfish ambition. It was more, how do rich people, how do, <laughs> like, how do people that have houses without wheels, how do they do it? <laughs> and so that was kind of my, I mean, yep. I just, and I didn't stop. I went to St. Mary's University studied it, worked at a bank, and then uh, started in this financial services career in 1999. When did PAX come into it? Did you start working for somebody else? Did you go on your own right away? How, how no, that- I worked for a big firm first because I, I felt I needed some mentoring. I still didn't really know how to tie a tie. So that makes sense. Uh, I got some mentoring, but I did well. I was a uh, partner of the year and I was, it looked like I was, you know, moving up and I might end up in New York or Chicago somewhere. And sure. and San Antonio is home and uh, Texas is home. So I, uh, I, Quit that job, and um, we we basically shortly after that started Pax Financial Group. A couple other guys wanted to leave the big firms as well, so the three of us started Pax, and the name Pax is Peace. And so we we enjoyed Dave Ramsey at the time, and he had these financial peace universities, and so it was kind of a play <laughs> off that. I do the Pax part, but I was curious where that came from. Well, what was that like though? I mean, obviously you'd had success at a big firm, but having success at a big firm and having success on your own is very different. It's a different mentality. It's a different mindset. So what was that transition like for you? Well, financially it was tough because we were making good money and and then we stopped and I had a, I had a BMW convertible and I was, it was like a professional athlete. I was making more uh, and never experienced money before. So even a financial mind, I mean, I knew stuff. I was a CFP, had a couple degrees and I knew the stuff, but I still wasn't behaving appropriately. And so I had <laughs> to use for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that exact, I was, I had to kind of reset and Dave Ramsey at the time was for other people, not smart financial minds like me at the time. And so I had to reset. We went on envelopes, you know, we were really struggling, went to one car and really focused. I had student loan debt and it, it took us a good, good while, but we were very, very diligent. And I appreciate my wife for, for bearing with those years. That was yeah. the hardest part of the transition. I bet. It's a risk reward circumstance. You're giving up that the safety of a corporate life, but you're going to feel a lot more rewarded about that first dollar that you make independently. How long do you think it was until, say, you started hiring, started building the business as opposed to just you guys? How long did that take for you? You know, really quickly, I um, I, I just had aspirations of having a, an organization, and so I thought I probably overextended myself even early because. I wanted to do things in my highest level of competency. And so that means I needed to hire some people to do stuff that would kind of bog myself down. My number one goal every day was to see the people and solve their problems. 
And so I had to figure out a way to just be in front of people. And if I was doing any paperwork, that was just inefficient. So almost nearly right away, completely broke. Sometimes having trouble paying that payroll, I hired somebody pretty quickly, just knowing that I could leverage my time a lot more. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've heard this said by an enormous number of entrepreneurs over the years, which is their best advice for another entrepreneur, regardless of industry, it goes across all of it, but is that do the thing you're best at and hire someone to do the other stuff. Because if you get bogged down in the books and you're not the book guy, if you get bogged down in outside sales and you're not the outside sales guy, if you will, or I don't mean to gender that, but if you, you are going to lose the reason or lose the sight of why you had a passion for the business in the first place. Does that make sense? That no, it's right. true. What, and another way to say that is like, Hey, find, find what you're not good at and hire people. This is pretty much the same thing you're saying. And so what yeah, happens absolutely. is I keep, I keep finding things that I'm not good at. And so I keep hiring more people cause I'm not good at something. <laughs> So I, oh man, I, I, <laughs> I would have a staff so large. I know that's, it keeps getting bigger. Cause I'm like, I'm really not good at this. I need to hire somebody. And so here we are with 20 some odd employees just to make up for oh, my division. Man. Oh man. I'm telling you, if I could, you know, if I could hire a butler and a valet, like it was the 18th century, just someone to help me cook and take care of my clothes. Uh, I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Things I'm bad at. Well, so, okay. So let's start, you know, that not very recently you released a video um, uh, on, on your email server, you know, to, to folks around your client list, I'm sure. And others talking about market volatility. And I think it's, I think the VIX has gone completely nuts over the last couple of, of weeks, yeah. Yeah. but, um, but, you know, you were talking about not being necessarily afraid of the volatility, feeling confident about what, what has been your, the advice? I'm sure you've gotten a lot of phone calls over these last couple of weeks from clients. What's been yeah. your mainstay? Yeah. You know, it's, everyone knew this was coming. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden we're like, I mean, everyone knew that, that there was a lot of money out there. We would had kind of had a good run. The, you know, a lot of people look at price to earnings ratios. What's the price that um, investors are paying for income from the company's earnings and income pretty much synonymous. And so those prices were creeping up over, over the years and, and everyone kind of knew. And so we, you know, when it hits us, a lot of people aren't surprised it's just now, now it's time to, you know, the rubber hits the road. How do we react to this? And so most people are being hit mostly in the tech sector. So if somebody had overextended themselves in tech, that's seeing the brunt of, of the pain right now. But many of those companies, not all of them, some of them will, will really struggle financially, but Amazon's not going away anytime soon. So there's some companies in there that are going to survive this. So you just want to just reevaluate the quality so I think going forward, I think it's healthy that we're going to just reassess how we invest and it's going to be more focused on quality and cash flow. And that wasn't the game before. The game was speculation, which is eerily similar to 1999 in some spaces. And then, of course, we're also seeing the pressure in the bond market, too, which we knew this was coming, too. We knew rising interest rates were going to cause pressure on the bond market. And many people have some combination of bonds in their portfolio. But the way bonds are constructed... In a lot of ways, it's a paper loss because bonds typically have some sort of guarantee from the companies if you if you play out the term. So that's right. just kind of time and patience is going to help a lot of investors recoup those those paper losses. So I think people with a long term attitude. I know it's kind of like you know cliche ish, but uh, you know I've been doing this a while now, and, and it's true. You know, people that just kind of hang through it, whether it maybe even buy. You know, I, I'm going to be honest. I personally, I've bought lately. And so, and I'm hiring more employees. I've invested in more resource. We're spending a ton of money on stuff. 
I mean, I'm very optimistic. I think every business owner has a degree of risk management, so I'm not foolish there. But but overall, if I think long term, I just don't see us kind of going to can beans, shotguns. Right, right, exactly. We're not going to be in the we're not going to be in the basements and bunkers anytime soon. But I, you know, it's interesting we talk about that. I mean, I, just as an example of tech, right? Apple has a wonderful earnings and the stock tanks in the same 24 hours. I mean, for Apple, of course. But does anyone really believe that Apple will not be a strong and profitable company two, three years from now? Maybe not the same level of insane hockey stick growth, but they make a fundamentally a fundamentally popular product that is selling well and profitable, right? Like these are the fundamentals that we have always understood or should have always understood. But I do think it's interesting to bring it back to some of the old school market fundamentals that we kind of lost for a little while, right? I mean, and again, you you and I are probably, you're a little, I think you're a little younger than me, Daryl, but we probably just remember the turning point when the idea of a CD from a bank became insane, right? Where like my grandpa would have bought a five-year CD and give it, you know, those kinds of small interest-bearing safety net bond, you know, municipal bonds, a perfect example. They just became the interest rates were so low and the money and the rest of the market so high, they just became not particularly valuable unless you were just, it was either this or the mattress, right? Well, yeah. And, and, and I'm actually kind of excited. I know it's going to be painful to get there. I'm kind of excited to see some of that come back. I think yes. in the next few years, we're going to see bonds starting to pay some real uh, coupons yeah. and then so CDs as well. I mean, we're, you can go to the government website and it's the I bonds um, now mm-hmm. and the I bonds are paying 9.62%. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. what you have to, that's the rate you needed in order to make that worthwhile. And it hasn't been like that, what, in 15 years? <laughs> no, and it's been a real challenge to find income for people who are retiring. And so right. um, I'm looking forward to being able to get some more predictable income for those people. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a return to some of the very classic market fundamentals that, you know, those of us that are somewhat children of the 80s, you know, became, became familiar with and, and comfortable with. So now at the, at the same token, though, and this is the other hand of that, you and I are kind of talking optimistically, and I think that's fair. On the other hand, we will see higher interest rates. There's just no way that we won't. It's the main lever that we have to work on inflation. We're going to see higher interest rates. But how much higher, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, a, four, a less than 5% interest rate on a prime mortgage is his, still historically great. It's not good compared to last year, <laughs> yeah, but if exactly. you look at it over, you know, my lifetime, it is still a solid, you know, a solid, healthy rate. How do you think those kinds of things are going to trickle down and, and impact the rest of the market going forward? Yeah. I mean, you've got two sides of the, the, the question is a good question is how is that going to impact the market? So first of all, it does slow, it should slow the housing market. So uh, that's, you know, that's a factor to consider, but the opposite side of the coin is, is that the demand's much higher than the supply. So you have those factors that are going to be competing with each other. A lot of people wanting homes and not a lot of inventory. So that's, that's a peculiar situation. And so as interest rates go up, the, the, the reality is, is how do those people who want homes, how do they afford it? And you want that payment to be lower than 25% of your take-home pay. Banks will unfortunately start getting creative to get people in over their heads. And, and that's, that's something I want to be watching for. The problem is, is, is some people have adjustable rate mortgages and they're going to adjust at a higher rate here in the near future. And they've got to be prepared for that. So my concern is on the financial system that that's uh, not going to be a systemic issue again. Right. Um, when, right, when those right. arms come due. And then the other piece is, is that how does it slow the housing market and ultimately the earnings of Home Depot and Lowe's and those wrong answer to short question. Sorry. Daryl Lyons joining us. 
In our next segment, he shares his forecast for the housing market. When Texas Business Minds continues. At Texas Mutual Insurance Company, we celebrate the workers who keep your business growing strong. They're a vital part of our community, and we're proud to be on the job with 1.5 million of them every day. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. There's a whole sector of the economy that is connected to home buying. And if that slows down, there's a whole additional set of, of businesses, suppliers, retailers who rely on that stuff. So there's a, there is a big impact. But this is another, we go back, you know, we're going to go back and yeah. forth here. There's been an enormous amount of money sloshing around in every market, right? I mean, I, I, I put it, this is an example of what I mean by that. So allegedly Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter for $44 billion, right? That's the yeah. largest purchase of a company ever, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not a profitable company. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Like, yeah. it's like, there's so much money. There's been so much money sloshing around in our system, right? That is going to places. Just it's trying to find some investment return. That it can't be healthy. Long, you cannot sustain that for too long. So we're beginning to see that. Do you know what I mean? The sort of yeah. the party starts in to some degree. It, it's it's it reminds me, you know, of the Guadalupe River. And you know, <laughs> what happens is you know, the Guadalupe River doesn't flood in a while. People come in from out of town and start building houses a little too close, and and they somehow missed the information that that thing is a roaring flood zone. They, I don't know what happened, but you see people building. I'm like, man, you're too close. And what happens is when that thing floods again, people were reminded, oh, there's danger there. And those people that overextended themselves and their house too close, they are going to get burned. But many of us who have experienced and seen it before, we, we know that flood's going to happen. We are prepared for it and we don't overextend ourselves. And so this is just another flood. And I think if you build too close and you bet on all NFTs, you bet on all the, you know, crypto stuff and you bet on, you know, name, name all the speculative stuff that's come out, you are going to get burned. But most people who diversify, spread it out, they just got to weather this thing. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the future, but let's get, let's look more granular. Like how is PAX doing and what are you sort of expectations for the next three to five years for the company in general? Yeah, so PAX is growing. It's it's a function of a couple things. One, we're uh, we're in South Texas, so that's geographically well located, right? A lot of people are sure, moving yeah. here, and a lot of refugees. Yeah. Sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a benefit. We're independent, so you know we're not tied to any big institution. So that makes us a little bit more nimble. And you know what? A lot of people are wanting to invest with their values now, and so we. You know, we're typically known in the in the community and we don't post this, but a lot, you know, we're very conservative in the way, you know, even politically and our faith, you know, is a big part of our organization. So some people don't like that and that may not be a good fit. And we try not to preach to people, but um, people are starting to think about their investments that way a lot more. And so um, our suite of biblical responsible investing has actually been one of the most popular, not just in the South Texas area, but worldwide. I mean, people are calling us all across the world for that. And so um, that's interesting and something that I've pushed away from for about 15 years because I, I, I always hated the plumber that had the, the, the fish on their card and they screwed oh, yeah. you in the plumbing deal or something. You know, I hated right, that. Right. Right, and right, so right. I pushed I away from it, but, but it seems to be there's an appetite for that now. So I think that we'll, we'll lean into that a little bit more. Sure. I, and look, I think that it's completely reasonable for every single person 
to invest their money in a way that aligns with their personal belief system, whatever that may be. Whether it, you know, money is important here in, in our in our system. This is what our, our businesses run on. But there are some things more important to people. And putting your money where your heart is, I think, is very valuable service to offer to people, regardless of what their part on the political spectrum or religious spectrum is. That is a something I would encourage all of our listeners when thinking about their investments. Put it where you feel, this is, you know, my, my you know, as a non-professional, my advice, put it where you feel is the appropriate place for your money to do your work for you, wherever that may be. And I think you're probably going to end up in some fairly safe investments for the most part if you do that. You know, it's funny because as I, I dug into this, I was concerned about loss of performance and that hasn't been the case. Um, obviously, you can't perform, you can't promise anything in the future, but a lot of the research has shown that. And then also you think about it like, okay, Companies that are getting screened in are companies that treat their employees well, and and mm. companies that are getting screened out are people that are you know violate child child labor laws, and and I think right. that's just good business, and so we're seeing a lot of that right now, and and coupled with that, you know, where do we see PACs going? I'm having a heck of a time with this retire in Texas podcast. It's been so much fun meeting new mm. people, and we're going to continue doing that. I mean, it's not like a money thing; it's just a fun thing to do. So I've been yeah. enjoying doing that a lot too. Yeah, definitely. Those of you are, you know, you've got your podcast app out right now. Go on and search for it. Give everyone the title again, just to make sure they, they hear oh, it. Retire in Texas. Retire in Texas. That's good for SEO too, my friend. That's it. <laughs> You're getting that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> good. I'm glad, you know. It's, That's good for it's, SEO. I like that. It's been like so that. much fun. I, it's um, what, you know, been asked, I've been interviewing people and it's really, I just am curious about their life story and my curiosity leads the dialogue and then it just turns out to be a product that people enjoy. Absolutely. That's great to hear. And so I think the last thing I would sort of ask you is, let's say, and well, this is kind of going to be my out question, but let's say you, you, you know, you've run into someone at a cocktail party, they find out you're a financial advisor, you're in the finance industry, they're going to corner you and ask you for a piece of advice. Yeah. What advice are you giving them? Oh man. Wow. That's a good, that's I know a really it's tough. good question. Yeah. It's a tough one. You know, <laughs> so you're like, how old is this person? <laughs> you're like, where are they? Yeah. There's a lot of variables. He, you know, I used to go to a church where people would corner me at church and I actually had to leave the church because I, I, oh, no. I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted worship. And, and so, yeah, yeah that's not the place so, for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It became really tough because every service oh. people were cornering me. So anyways, um, you know, I think in everything we do in life, whether it's raising kids or um, financial decisions we make, or our health. You know, if you really think about it, the principle of thinking long-term is a universal principle that helps us overcome the anxiety of the moment. And so what happens is our brain typically gets hijacked if you study behavioral finance and our amygdala is the part that gets hijacked and it prevents us from making rational decisions. Um, And so as a result of events that happen in the moment, it's overwhelming, whether, again, it's raising kids, our health, or our finances. But if we can um, escape for a moment, breathe, you know, meet with people that are smarter than us, and think long-term, we can realize that, hey, this is just a season, and we'll get on the other side of that. So that's the main piece of advice I would give. Don't panic is always a great first piece of advice, no matter what the context is, right? Just first thing, don't panic. No one makes good decisions in a panic. <laughs> exactly. And, and I make the assumption that everyone that would come up to me is carrying something heavy. I just don't know yeah. what that is. You know what? That's a good thing to have no matter what you're talking to. It's like, I think after two years of a pandemic, assuming that the person you're about to talk to is carrying something heavy is a wise piece for every context these days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's all I've got, Daryl. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This was fun. Thank you so much, Ed. 
Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.